0: Well, usually I ask guests to introduce themselves, but I actually know how to pronounce your name, so I will introduce you. That's a little trick. I forget if I if I told you oh, that I, long ago. I use that all the time. I, yeah, I
1: totally. If you get a tricky name, I just say, "Why don't you introduce yourself?"
0: Yeah, yeah. So pretty much, and now it, it's just become a shtick that I just ask people to do it. But like, it's also because I I never really I can't pronounce anything. But so today uh, I, I asked my old friend John Willis to come on. I, I saw that you had a new podcast. So, I was listening to some of it, and it made me think like, oh, we we should we should talk about those because and I haven't talked to you in a long time, so uh, it'd be a good op- a good reason, uh, as they say, who needs a reason? But it'd be a good reason to uh, record something. And uh, you know the, I, I like I haven't listened I have to confess or admit, I haven't listened to all of the episodes, John. Uh, there's okay. there's other podcasts I got to keep up with. And I discovered that in the uh, if you if you're an audible subscriber, You get almost the complete Wooster and Jeeves series for free or included, as I should say. So I've been very distracted. They get a bunch of British actors to read them. It's wonderful. But I haven't listened to all of them. But uh, so so uh, I think it's great that you started that podcast here. You know, I want to jump right into it. Here's here's, uh, you know, here's what I was thinking uh, is. So so you talked about dimming. I mean, this is the thing of your podcast. Let's talk about, you know. You want to dive into dimming, and I think it's great. You've lined up people from nerd world and otherwise who uh, you had the one the one person who actually traveled around with him. That's exciting. Yeah,
1: Dorothy Quinn. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. And she was like, she was like a nurse, all sort of. that's a good story. Insane Um, story. Yeah, yeah. So, so as you've been doing this, uh, like I feel like John, what more is there to learn about dimming? Don't doesn't the world know everything? What, what else are you, what are you surfacing? What are you learning from this that hasn't come up already?
1: Well, I was going to segue into what's the best hamburger joint like in the <laughs> old that's, days. That's, that's later, that's later. Talking, <laughs> that's later. <Okay. laughs> um, no, it, it's interesting. Um, I, uh, you know, to get serious, I, you know, as most people who know me, I've been sort of geeking about Deming for, you know, I, a fair number of years. It could, could be almost 10 years now. Um, and in fact, my first podcast was sort of a tribute to Ben Rockwood because um, we, it was the second DevOps days and we ran a session on uh, Theory of Constraints. And it was an open space session on Theory of Constraints. And Gene had basically, Phoenix Project was pretty close to um, coming live. It was, and most people in Gene's circle had already read the book, knew about it. I can't remember if it had been already published, probably was. So the whole idea of sort of Elliot Gorat's Theory of Constraints was on was topical, right? And and um, so we go to this thing and I had been, and just this little backdrop, you know, Gene had given me a very early copy of the Phoenix Project. And before he did it, he said, I you know, I suggest to you that you read Elliot Gorat's The Goal first. And it was a gift that he did that because um, I think people who read those books in the opposite order don't really get it. So yeah. I read Golrad and then I was like, oh, wait a minute. I love this guy. So I read like three or four more of his books. And I was sort of bleeding Golrad at this point. And we go to his open spaces and uh, Ben Rockwood sort of like, you know, Ben's a beautiful person, so he would never sort of diminish you. But it, it felt like he was sort to of tap me on the head going, John, John, John. It's all about Dr. Demi." I'm like, no, it's Rat. He's like, the... no, no, John, John. Trust me on it. And I went back and I spent about a year learning everything I could about about Dr. Deming. And and it was okay, yeah, no, I get it now. I see. And then you start seeing Deming's 14 points. And you're like, oh, wait a minute, like this is DevOps. And and um, and so you know, I was sort of sort of really sort of geeking in a um not a real serious way about deming, to be honest with you. You know, everybody, oh John's the deming guy, but for for the next sort of number of years, I'd sort of pick stuff up. I'd store it away. But um, COVID happened. So I'm going to answer your question here. Um, COVID happened. And I thought, you know, like there was, we were talking before the podcast about like not traveling and all. I found this vacuum of like incredible amount of time that I didn't have. You're going through airports and going through security and like all that craziness, you know, like, you know, I, I, I average 200,000 miles a year flying, you know, in the sky. Um, and I thought, you know, I I'm, I love this sort of Deming topic. Why don't I get real serious about this? And and so to answer your question, um, over the last year, I the, there is a lot to learn about Deming, like way more than the surface, oh, Deming in 14 points. And in fact, I'll let you get your next question here soon. Uh, but the... Uh, the fact is that as I travel and talk to people about Deming there, I mean, now, there's sort of like three or four categories of how people think about that. One, mm. maybe five. And then I don't know who the hell he is, but then, but then there's the <laughs> um, I study him. Oh, that's interesting. I hadn't heard his name in years because I studied him when I got my industrial engineering degree. Yeah, and then you have like a sort of a third character category that is, um, you know, I've heard enough about him. That I want to learn more, mm. and then there's the the Ben Rockwood character, or, my, or what I'm currently in, where you're like you see this sort of enlightenment through his 70 years of body of work that is so relevant to uh, what we do. And in fact, part of my research is to try to drive the what Deming did and how relevant it is to like Amazon. You know, I know you guys did a podcast on working backwards. Yeah. Um, some Of the initial stuff that went on there was very heavy on like theory of constraints, lean, and 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 you know, roots back to Deming. So, yeah, I mean, there's a lot you know, he's one of those sort of he's like the big Lebowski. You know, the, the every time you sort of learn go watch the movie, you learn more <laughs> or like this humor that you didn't catch first time. It to me, as I dig deeper and deeper on Deming, I just find more pathways. To the uh, I was watching Moneyball the other day, and I, I mean, I can draw you a picture of how you get to the concepts of Moneyball, all the way back to sort of, sort of Deming's core principles. Well, so,
0: go. so, so you, I mean, you brought up several things there, which have created a, a, a new question or a quandary in my mind. Which is, so you brought up that uh, that Amazon book, Working Backwards, and um, you know, if I were to summarize, I mean, it's it's a it's a fine book. And if I were to summarize my review of it, of not review of the book, but review of what the book is saying about Amazon, it's that like, well, however they do it, people at Amazon give a lot more fucks than anyone else on the planet. <laughs> like they actually like court. again, I, I have no idea. I'm I'm disclaiming all over the place here, but to hear to read the story and the business culture in this book, that's kind of the main difference. Now There's six page memos versus PowerPoint. And, you know, there's all these tools, but, you know, and I'm not dismissing the tools, but like, you know, to cite another book after, you know, I'm kind of a student of the halo effect, which is like, yes, but hearing the stories of success are not really Mm -hmm. as useful as hearing multiple stories of success and multiple stories of failure, essentially. And so like, you know, there's plenty of other organizations that have all their own kooky tools like GE. I don't know what GE does now, but you know, GE had its own kooky tools and culture. IBM had its own kooky col- tools and culture. Every major successful organization has kooky tools and culture, right? And even more so, like you know. Anyways, I don't need to go on. We we go in it in the review, and so you know, one of the things now, I I am uh, uh, I have read very very little of dimming I, I think I listened to I've listened to, let's say, seven tenths which i guess is 70% of the audiobook of like what's his last book i think
1: a new economics new economics yeah 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 yeah
0: and 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 i i you know and and i felt like that would be a good place to start cuz it must have a lot of conclusions conclusions is the wrong word but you know yeah. it ha- it has the most for now there mu- there must be other stuff and also hearing you talk about him over the years and reading that book like like how what i what i never get about, about that kind of Amazon thing. And a lot of what I, I, I hear about dimming and other stuff, even the DevOps world is like, all right, so how, how do you just do the right thing? (laughs) Right. Like, like, like there are, I I forget how many dimming books there are. Right. And, or how many gold wrap books there are, but it's sort of like you and I have consumed all this stuff and it's like, all right, we got the recipe book. And then, and then, yet you go, you go eat somewhere, and it's like I'm not even sure this is food. To you know, this is no, not a I, I,
1: I think this is an important question, honestly, because um, the one of the things that um, so so that just to be clear, I haven't really made this public, but I am announced it on Software Defined Talk. I'm I'm <laughs> writing a book about Deming, right? And I'm yeah, yeah. back a third way down. I'm I'm paying a uh, consultant. Well, you, you know,
0: you know what they say, uh, John. Uh, if you if you record five podcasts, you have a book you yeah, go. Yeah, a, 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 a book so, spontaneously um, writes itself. That's right.
1: Um no, so one of the things I'm trying to be really careful about. and and, in fact, if you listen to some of the podcasts, you get this sense from a couple of people I've interviewed now is you know Ben Rockwood starts off with this, um, like, how did you get into Deming? And he starts talking about like he was a giant and he he was doing all this stuff and he was learning some principles. and he just kept finding this path back to this guy, yeah. Yeah. Right, and and then uh, I did this guy. who was a big, prominent TOC guy. He's a he's one of the selection committee of the the large TOC conference. George Decker. I just put that one out. He said the same thing, and he hadn't even listened to Ben's podcast. Right, and so there's, you know, the, I, I'm trying to be really careful not to over rotate that Amazon wouldn't exist without Demi. Right, like never. That's never what I'm going to say. What I'm going to say, or I am saying, is there are these sort of Principles that we see clearly—the same ones that you see—we yeah. we talk about—that you can almost in every case, almost every case, just about every case, you can tie that back to a principle that Deming espoused. Right, and and, and that's at- that's
0: that's part of what's so thrilling. Like, well, I guess in my case, listening, but like reading it is—it you're just like, you know there there are, there are there are a few sort of intellectual things more pleasurable than than learning a piece of common sense you didn't know before <laughs> right because because often the way that you learn it is it's made so clear that it's intuitive and then you're just like I've never thought about that but like well, of course right like th- no wonder like and that you know that's how it's uh it, it really is like a big feat uh, intellectual or I don't know what the word philosophic academic intellectual like an important moment of you know mind or whatever when someone's like oh Here's a thing we've never realized that's happening all the time. <laughs> right? And, and
1: that's that's sort of what I'm trying to show is this these pathways. There's two, there's at least two meta points in this story that I'm trying to create. One is that there are these pathways that you can always tie back to him. And here's the thing: he was the classic shoulder of giants, even that so that was Elliot Gorak's publication. But Deming had this insatiable. Uh, appetite for learning, like it, the Library of Congress is like got stacked walls with letters. He would just write a letter to an anesthesiologist, or he'd write a letter saying, "Hey, I saw you wrote this thing." Um, so was somebody who you know sort of a just pulled in like a complete boundary spanner of knowledge, and and, um, and and so what in a lot of ways, you know, it's like a, most of Deming's body of work goes back to a, man, a gentleman called. Um, Dr. Shewitt. And, and Shewitt is the guy who invented statistical class control, was the inventor of PDCA. And Deming, um, it was, it was um, Deming's strength was that all the stuff he aggregated from all these people, primarily from uh, from Dr. Shewitt, but also he was, um, he drew a lot from uh, philosophy, pragmatism. He, what he was able to do is explain it better than all those people. Yeah. And be, and then also he put it in a humanistic format. He always there was I was just sort of I'm finishing another blog article about the history of PDCA right and and one of the things that as I'm writing it is why didn't Stewart get all the credit for PDCA right Plan to Check back, right and and one is um, you know sort of Deming had a, a larger megaphone or whatever but the, Deming always put these ideas whether it was deep rooted statistics least square or like linear aggression he always put in perspective of the human how does it make the human better he was like this pure humanist mm. the second point was so he was really good at not only explaining stuff that other people had a hard time explaining to the common folk but he always put it in perspective at how it made the human condition now it's always in sort of management science and leadership but he was always worried about the worker and then second point of why, so you can point back to his sort of megaphone of all this great knowledge, especially at the turn of the, you know, the you're turning into the 20, 20th century when like, you know, uh, Newtonian is going to quantum, you know, there's pragmatism, there's all these sort of new revolution ideas in science philosophy. But yep. the second point is, he's got this incredible biography, like a Forrest Gump. You know, he, he starts off at, you know, his first real job is at um is, is part of the census. So he was first person ever at to use sampling for error correction in the in the 1938, 1940 census, still used today. He pre-war, they get him to teach a class at Sanford to create quality initiative for the war effort. They say it created a blast radius of about 30,000 you know, sort of management plant managers. That improved the quality of tanks. Then he goes over to his real famous thing, is he goes over to Japan and is basically the you know the the sort of stimulus that they needed to create all the sort of you know the, they call it the miracle in Japan. Then comes back here and starts the whole TQM, it you know thing, and then at ninety three or ninety one, about two years before he dies, ninety one, in Japan he's fifty when he goes to Japan, like. Most people fifty are like you know you know sit in the backyard you know cooking hamburgers. This guy's starting all over again at ninety. In the ninety, he writes his seminal book, which takes all seventy years of everything he's tra- learned, the New Economics book, and defines something called system of profound knowledge. And that's why I'm, I call my blog, you know, uh, Deming Profound, and the podcast Profound, because it really is everything that he learned over seventy years. That you know, I can create a pathway to just about everything: Twitter, Facebook, modern banks. These principles that we all know—we kind of call them DevOps today, but but it could be really sort of any name.
0: Well, he sounds like someone who could find cranberry juice in like thirty minutes in in Japan. Especially in
1: Japan, yeah. <laughs>
0: that, so so sort of <laughs> gently weaving back to the uh, uh, my head scratching, you can like. Get cranberry juice. Okay. And, and yeah, you're, you're, I'm remembering. I think I think in that chapter of uh, Beyond the Phoenix Project, you go over his history, and yeah, he does have that uh, Forrest Gumpian thing. And you will have to come back. There's two things. One in your book, you should write an appendix about how did this guy live to 91? Like, was it diet? Yeah, yeah, yeah. D- d- yeah. Dumb I luck, think,
1: I think look, again, not not really anything like have any qualification to make anything about like your sort of physics or physiology or I think that you know you know in you know his 80 to 90 decade he was probably more busy he was running a workshop
0: he had around the energy the world, yeah you know, yeah
1: like uh, almost 200 days a year he's doing these workshops at starting at 80 all the way up till he's 90 so i think something about your brain being sort of
0: yeah that makes sense that you're engaged you have you have uh, as they as they say a, a reason to live so so he goes through all these things and it's it's wildly successful or let, let me rephrase that. So it is successful, but it's he goes through all these state changes where the census didn't have, you know, John, that I have a philosophy degree, so I don't know how numbers work. It, it didn't have this one error statistical correction thing, and now it does. And then you have, uh, you know, Japan switches over to this way of doing things. And so he's like, he's like seeing people change. And does he, does like, so again... How do you just get people to change <laughs> right right like and and it go it goes it's like oh. it's it's like there was something like obviously he 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 at least witnessed or was part of a huge effort I'm sure to marshal like you know how Japan started manufacturing things and then he's applied that in various other places uh and to some extent, it's like you know the thing that Like when I, uh, I was like, you're saying I was lucky to like read gold rat like long ago before, before all this stuff. So the, the Phoenix project makes a lot more sense because it's that structure. But like the thing I never quite got from Goldrat was like, yeah, but why would anyone care to do that? Like the way he writes the story, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah no. the, the, um, the manager has to, right? Because like there's oh, a crisis right. and, and he cares, and it, he doesn't work in tech where he could just go get a job at some other tech company. That's
1: right but right. But, <laughs> but, it's but one factory, one job. Buddy. <laughs> it closes, you're done. Yeah.
0: <laughs> but that that you know again, it's it's kind of my my hobby horse to harp on. But it's it's always like you know. How, yeah. how how do you maybe I'm well, overthinking about it, but how no, do you no, motivate you, you, people you're, you're to do these spot things? On.
1: You're spot on because let me so there's a sort of another narrative that's really interesting. Like in almost all of his endeavors, like before the war, right before like until before and after the war, they America basically rejected him, right? Like I mean, um, I forget where this stuff. He did a bunch of stuff with USDA. You know, hmm. you can look at some of that stuff like, man, if they were only picked up on that. Eh. And then he goes to Stanford, he teaches 3000 sort of professionals on quality initiatives for to create a blast radius of 30,000 people to basically completely change. You know, so the criteria was or the conditions were like we lost all our workers. They're all on the war. We've got you know retired people and, you know, Rosie the Riveter, doing all this work. We got to do something drastic. Let's call this guy. anyone the only one. Duran, there were a couple of people involved in this. Let's call these guys in and let's have them teach their methods. So they do that. I mean, literally some people would say that, you know, part of the winning the war effort was the quality in tanks and planes and all that and, and ships. And then the Americans come back and like, what's this nonsense? And then they go back to the old way. And then um, so he was not very effective in change, and it was sort of an accident. So he gets sent over to Japan, and there's a number of conditions of like this sort of gentle giant. There's um, you know, there's sort of that Helsinki, what is the Helsinki syndrome, right? He's he comes and, and what's really important. Is, oh, you mean you mean the Stockholm syndrome? I'm sorry, yeah. I don't know why I was called, I'm an idiot, but hey, um the I um, <laughs> have no no. No, you know, sort of qualification to write a book. I like uh, this
0: idea, though. We should make up something that's the Helsinki Syndrome.
1: Yeah, that, that it, sounds it like it could no, be actually, very legit. Yeah, most people don't know. <laughs> Two weeks later, no. Um, the um, the um, so he, the, one of the things that happened over there is like there's the famous he went over and he actually went over to help the census originally, but then there were a bunch of wartime statisticians. That, it was called Juice, the uh, Japanese Union of uh, Science and Engineers. They were, by sort of mandate or treaty, not allowed to work because they were like brilliant statisticians. Yeah, that were involved in the war effort. Now they can do anything. And this one guy Koenchki is his name. It's again pronouncing names. Um, he realizes, hey, I got a little bit of a you know head fake. I can since Deming's been sent over to help, I can have him come, you know, train my people. And so, and Deming said those students were the greatest students he ever had. It was two things. One, these are people that were sort of looking for an American that, like after America, had sort of devastated Japan. And this American is willing to help. Uh, he's a gentle giant. He he had his ideas fit really well with an Eastern sort of culture, mm. you know, um, and uh, you know, and then sort of all of the above, and um, and he starts sort of teaching him, the, teaching these these guys, and he helps promote them. He, he is you know give backs like he doesn't take royalties to help but not only helps him find work he says hey i can take what you guys know and turn that into business and manufacturing yeah you know and then he you know so so it was it was the fact that the american culture literally didn't want it in fact it comes back to you being a philosophy it, it comes back to one of the biggest influences of Deming was a book by uh c.i lewis called mind in the world order which was um a, a, a sort of a manifest about pragmatism, an American first American philosophy. Yeah. So these are things Americans like couldn't accept. Americans were very sort of uh, Taylor Sloan, or you know, sort of you know very sort of deductive in in their way they thought about things. Um, you know, command and control structures, even to this day. Yeah. Yeah people reject that. He goes over to to Japan. They're like, "Oh, I love this stuff. This fits with you know, our intrinsic notions notri- wo- notri- <laughs> notions of work." And uh and so what happens and what sort of the punchline of all this is he comes back and he really is sort of a nobody from like, you know, the 60s to like 80. A nobody, literally. In fact, he one of the things he's he, if you go research, the thing he did probably most between 1970, 60s and 70 was he was brought in to run statistical process control to understand uh jurometrics. What's geometric? So literally the, the the guy like you'd see. I mean, it was it wasn't the sort of the, the the famous you know uh murder mystery show where they bring in the expert, you know, doctor to say, well, I don't think Joe could have died because but it was sort of like that. But he was doing; he was applying like the same methods he used for error correction on uh, on census to try to understand the statistics of jury, the management. But anyway, and then in 1980, NBC runs this now sort of reasonably famous uh, documentary called "If Japan Can, Why Can't We?" And we're getting clobbered by like you know 1980. We are getting clobbered by you know the the big. You're getting clobbered by, you know, basically Toyota, but everything made in Japan is like lower cost, higher quality. And uh, and then in this documentary, in the end, like the last seven or eight minutes, they're interviewing Dr. Deming, and the whole country collectively gasps. So going, not only are we getting the crap beat out of us by the Japanese, it was an American who went over there and taught them how to do it. Right, right. And next thing you know, Ford Motors, uh, the, the CEO of Ford Motors, brings him in and says, I want to use your ideas. And the whole TQM Sort of movement starts. That, so that's what, So, general, so the,
0: uh, the that PDCA guy just needed to be on sixty minutes. That's that's why the uh, the maybe interview.
1: back in you know in um, you know the what was the radio broadcast in nineteen twenty seven right. with Little
0: Orphan Annie <laughs> or whatever.
1: I'm Doctor Short. <laughs> you know, um, you know. And then you have the dancing uh, bubblegum gals. You know, singing in the background.
0: Yeah, there. yeah. So, so that I mean that that history.
1: I mean, it makes me think. Well. The, Let, the point is the change. that what didn't come easy, and it's still today. We still have a pretty split, as you know. As we promote DevOps and these ideas, there's still a majority of people that believe in the sort of Taylor Sloan. You know, they still are rejecting.
0: Yeah, the, more of more of it. a planned deterministic system, like That's that. That, not, even, that also implies, like, like I mean, there's there's many many oddities about like American culture, but one of them is like, we're a pretty classist society and in all sorts of ways. Right. So there's the manager class and the worker class okay. and, you know, like anyhow, but so, uh, what was I, you got to, right. So, so, you know, hearing that and like my own, like poking around in this is like, I've kind of arrived at, at the following question, which is like in order, what would we call it? Let's just call it like, enterprise, bureaucracy, large organizational change, whether it's profit or nonprofit or whatever. Mm -hmm. Like in order to have like large organizational change, it seems like you need a crisis. Like maybe 10% of the time you don't need a crisis, but you pretty much always need like, and not just any crisis, you need like a really big crisis. (laughs) Like one might even call it, I never really know what this means, an existential crisis. And, Mm -hmm. And if you don't have that, then you're not going to change
1: well but you know what this, uh, this uh, i'm glad you remind me of that because his first book so he, he wrote papers and papers and papers and actually some very sort of you wouldn't call them books they'd be more like journals but they show up today as publications as sort of publishing books but his first real book was actually in the early 80s called out of the crisis mm. and it was actually you know imagine again he comes He he realizes what happened in japan he knows that what he's fundamentally been lecturing and talking and writing about is right, right? Because and, and not because it's his. It's, in fact, he's really telling you a lot of stuff about Stuart. He's telling you some stuff from pragmatism and C.I. Lewis about inductive reasoning and all these things that sort of collide together. And then he comes back to America and like for like, you know, two decades, nobody's listened to him and he's watching America deteriorate. Right, know, right, right. Like you get into the 70s, we lost the Vietnam War, government price, gas is low through the roof, our quality sucks. I mean, it's actually no fun in 1980 to be an American for the first time ever. And so he writes this book, not for business. You know, when I first read the book, I thought, ah, oh, this is what going to be his business book. He had nothing to do. He was basically screaming out loud to government education saying we got a crisis folks and you know, I'm just fed up of watching you guys screw this up. Like you, and this is the way he defined the 14 points in that book. So it was a book, basically he was saying, I'm done with consulting, I'm done with manufacturing. I mean, he wasn't, but but he's like, I'm like, I, I've got to shout this as loud as I can because it's more important than just GM it, It's It's now about America, like going down the shitter. And so I'm going to write this book about like these principles that government and education. So, but again, the thing that lit the light bulb was when people watched that document, it wasn't the book. It was the, it was the documentary where everybody was like, Holy crap. It was an American (laughs) who taught them to do this.
0: Right. And you also have firsthand experience of like, uh, you know, American cars being crappy, right? Like, like, so it's, it's a, it, it's a good mixture of all that. Yeah. You know, you know, you're making me think like there, maybe there's, there's a, there's probably a fourth thing, but you know, there's a cycle. Well, I guess the fourth thing would be like, you know, fixing it, but there's a cycle of like success, decadence, crisis, and then fix. Right. And, mm-hmm. and unless like, it's almost like in order to do change, you have to go through that cycle. Right. Cause if you're successful, like, why would you change? like, like you are successful. Right. And then, and then once you're in decadence, I mean, decadence is like, you know, you're at the apex, you've got plenty of money, it's easy street. And like, Mm -hmm. you're so successful that you can be indulgent. And like, you know, uh, even if, even if you stop working, you've got a decade or more to like, just be cool. You can coast basically. Right. And like, and like, if you can coast, why would you work? I mean, you know, why would you try, right? Like yeah. everything is fine and everyone's, everything's dandy. And like, that's the point is to not be stressed out and be happy. <laughs> it's like, yeah, well, but like, you know what? It's, it's like decadence it's little- is what we've been working for this whole time. Yeah, and then, I- and then, and then you hit a crisis. Cause of course, if you're not always, you know, to brutally shorthanded, if you're not always learning and improving and, you mm-hmm. know, caring, like someone else is going to come in and like, well, a competitor more than likely will come in and take and do something or in like a more of a government thing, like everything will just deteriorate. And then it's almost like the problem with government organizations is there is no competition. So once it deteriorates, there's no other option, (laughs) right? Like there's no, there's no sane option. And then, but then everyone has to realize that, you know, things are screwed to, uh, um, uh, to cite your movie from earlier, that the, the plane has hit the fucking mountain, right? Like, and, and well, then you go into fix mode. Like, then you start listening to like all these Then it's
1: usually too late. I mean, there's two stories I think about immediately when you talk about that. One is, you know, you're talking about planes, the Air France 447, right? I mean, I don't, you know, I mean, you hear pilots sometimes talk about how fly by wire can be dangerous, right? So, as an example, like, if you, you know, you get sort of complacent. You know, and, and, and not to go into detail, but the Air France 447 was uh, it was going from Brazil to Paris. It disappeared about three hours over the Atlantic Ocean. It took them quite a few years to figure out and find the black box. And it was one of these like everything went wrong. But some of the things were that that, you know, the the uh, the Airbus's were heavily fly by wire. And, you know, there's always been sort of this trade off of concern of like if if pilots you know, use fly by wire, overuse it. You know what happens when things go wrong? Well, things went terribly wrong at this one point. I, you know I think it, 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 I'm not trying to say that's the root cause. Um, but the other thing is if you might remember this or maybe not, but when we used to do the i t management podcast, we were just getting started, you know, I think I don't know when we got started. it was it was prior to two thousand ten ish, right? Maybe two thousand nine eight. and I had was an independent consultant, and I remember actually, um, Talking to Citibank about some work. And this is before mm. the financial crisis, and I was going in like, you know, we should change this, and we can do this, and we use these principles. And the manager's like, you know, John, I can go down and call there and get a quant to shave like, you know, you know, a, a nanosecond off of this, and I'll make you know three times what you're trying to tell me. I save. Yeah, yeah. You know, and it, it was this cavalier. Like, I get what you're saying, but man, like, like I just go down to quants and they can make that you know ten times that money and. And and then what happened, like two years later, <laughs> they were probably, oh, my God, I wish we would have had, not that they said I wish we would have had John, but they, I think at that point, like, <laughs> right, it was right. sort of like the pilots that got too used to fire, but fly by wire, And that's an over-exaggeration of that problem. But, like, they didn't have a net. They didn't have a safety net. And, and that's the way the world freaking works. And we, we saw, I mean, speaking of Amazon… You know, Barnes and Noble and all those guys were just sitting fat and happy. And then all of a sudden, this guy who decides to sell books on the internet like pops up out of nowhere and almost puts the whole industry, flips the whole industry. It seemed like, you know, as we look at it now, like, you know, overnight.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, it's, it's, uh, as, as I've been thinking this, this, uh, crisis thing over the past couple of years or whatever, like, it, it makes me wonder if, I mean, you get in these situations a lot. Uh, even more, much more than I do. Like this, where you're kind of consulting with someone, and they're just asking you why uh, things aren't happening. Like, you know, what we've, I, I'm, I'm VP head of transformation, whatever, you know, or you know, I've been given this. I'm, I'm SVP CIO, and I've been mandated to do this, and nothing seems to be happening. And it just seems like often the answer is like, well, that's because you don't have a crisis. Or, or that like, maybe, maybe you have one that like the board and the executives recognize, right. But it hasn't like the, uh, the effect of that crisis hasn't really gotten into the engine, the bureaucracy, whatever the organization where everyone is just like ready to do something new and they're actually interested in it. And, and like, I don't know. I mean, I always shy away from that because that sounds like a really, even for me, pessimistic yeah. <laughs> view of things. But, but it's hard to escape. Like, it's very rare that you have you have you know uh, an. Uh, well, I was going to say it's very rare that you have an Amazon come along. But what you learn, like like us, well, not like as if we have something. But if you study like the history of tech companies like for every amazon or facebook or microsoft there's like 20 other companies that were just as well positioned and like you know someone just had bad oysters for lunch one day i mean i'm mm-hmm. i'm not discounting all of well, that effort but there are many many there's it takes uh, i think i think uh what what's what was gold rats second book it's not just luck or something That's like luck. Right, 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 it, right. it's not just luck but there is a lot of luck.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, and, and that's, I mean, I think that there's again, there's a lot of things to unravel there. Right? I think there's there's a general fitness, right, that you yeah, yeah. get you in 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 a mode that you understand. And and I, you know, I was I try to tell young people, I tell my boys, and you know, that you know, like, um, it, you know, there's a number of things that are going to you know determine your success or not. But one is you better sort of be prepared and work hard. Like you're not getting through this. Gauntlet.
0: Right, so you right. can
1: maybe completely lock out like some terrible singer that everybody buys a billion records from, but <laughs> um, but um, which I wouldn't know their name, you know, or Helsinki. That's what their name. Would
0: be. This is um, the Helsinki syndrome.
1: That's a Helsinki band. <laughs> um, the um the, but but like in general you know that you have to be um incredibly sort of determined and exactly hard all those attributes and then this like splash of luck comes in and that greatness because i mean
0: exactly uh, no that, that's exactly it it's like it, it 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 takes a little bit of luck to be in the right place at the right time and then after that i mean it's it's not the only window but like luck doesn't fuel everything well, it's just and, it's just and, a tool you can take advantage of to, to and, get and an Amazon edge.
1: had, you know one of the things I've you know I've been going back is I'm trying to sort of um drive a funnel of like you know how does what Amazon has gotten right and done very successful how does it apply back to Deming and there's some close to direct um influences and there's like gazillion you know Uh, yeah well here's
0: here's here's one i'm i'm deliberately interrupting you because i i I was reminded of everything we're talking about here or this topic when i was listening to that uh i can never remember the name of the book work working backwards and there's there's uh because
1: they they, yeah they brought in jeff Wook, and i you know i have a background a little history right chef you know i was like the seventh or eighth i don't know person in the chef right all the founders you know jesse um yeah that's right uh, they were all chef people and i so i poked a couple of those guys and say how important was so jeff wilk comes in and he is he brings in all this operations research which is basically lean you know theory of constraints all this stuff and um and I asked how important that stuff, and they they allude to it a little bit in Working Backwards, and there's some other books about the important, like there's an original yeah. letter that how important Jeff Wilk was. But he came in, and like this guy was, hey, hey, we're going to do this. We, there is like, you know, a body of like knowledge that we should be using. So it wasn't, you know, they literally adopted. even So there's even a great story about um, Bezos implementing their sort of, um, there's sales and on you know. So hopefully everybody knows what an and on court is at Toyota. Anybody could pull a rope and stop the line, um, and and so Bezos implemented this notion of like, before we have a customer complain about something, let's go ahead. If we know from the data that a customer got screwed, let's just go refund. And they called it. I feel they called it the sort of the marketing or sales and on court. I mean, so there was a lot of like. You gotta have to be in the right place at the right time. You gotta have a lot of good luck. But like I, I think there were some fundamentals, um, like serious operations. There's another story where like uh every senior leadership had to read the goal. <laughs> right, right. Right. Like, like so, um, so you know, that's the part that isn't luck.
0: For sure, for sure. No, no, and, and I I mean, I think I think we sufficiently uh discounted the triteness of like it takes a lot of luck. I, I agree completely. And so like uh, you know, you know, it'd be curious, like when when you when you study this, like the 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 story I was thinking of in in working backwards is the story of how they came to uh what we would call like microservices or like APIs around everything. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's it's basically like <laughs> the most the most thrilling story of decomposing a monolith you'll ever read. Uh, uh, uh. <laughs> and And it's you know I think a lot about it because it kind of it's a good example of doing something that I would never expect a company to do. And and this the setup is basically like I forget what year it was, right? But but their their entire retail system is was effectively a monolith, right? Like, which is to say, like a fully integrated ERP system all the way to the UI and. You know, they kept finding that it would take a little. You know, it was difficult to add new features or try new business things. Right, right? now, nor, a normal company that would be the end of the story, <laughs> right? They would just be like, "Yep, yeah, yeah. It's, it's hard." Whereas, right. whereas what you what what's recounted in in uh, in working backwards is they spent maybe even three. Like, I feel like it was two or three years, like breaking apart the monolith, and many, many, many times people were just like, this is why are we spending all this time doing this? It has no effect on the business. It costs a lot of money. It takes time. And like somehow uh, and, and, you know, it was done by like a CEO and, you know, executive uh, pushing on it, which just begs the question, how do you get them to do that? But like somehow that was pushed through and, you know, it worked. Right. And like, and and like the frustrating thing is like, Anyone who complains about a monolith knows that, and they'll even say this if we could just rewrite the monolith, right? Yeah,
1: yeah, like, yeah, <laughs> Things yeah, would yeah, be like, better and we could do what you is, wanted. Yeah. If so we could ev- just hit a button, turn that mainframe into not a mainframe. So mainframe. Every, yeah.
0: every, everyone knows that you need to write the monolith, that it's causing all of your problems, and that the business would be better. And yet, it's very hard to do it. Right. And and like like in contrast, so I don't know factory stuff, right? But like uh when I was reading through that story, I was thinking of um, you know, Mick Kirsten's book, Flow, which like he intersperses with these visits to the um whatever BMW factory. Right. And and, and at the time when I was reading it, I was like, oh, more BMW factory stories. Like I was like, yeah. I I I know Mick. Likes BMWs. He was probably just like, "How can I expense buying a BMW?" Yeah, <laughs> I want to. I want to get well, an extended tour of the small, plant yeah. and, like, yes. you know, and just conveniently now that I have a BMW, I, I I found that it's fantastic. I had to test it, but you know, it's I would, in contrast. Like, I think that's my knowledge of of car factories, and I think there must be at some time, like, I, you if you're a car factory executive. You must realize that keeping agility in your factory is insanely important in a way that like if, if I'm an executive at a company that has one of these monoliths, I probably don't spend a lot of time thinking about like, oh, yeah, of course, we need our like software stack to be agile. Like that's right.
1: like yeah, but the, it that must be that way. Yeah, that goes back to the core principles, right, which is, you know, I think my one of my favorite books is uh, I would say there's only, if you want to learn about lean, there's only two books you need to read. Um, I'm sorry, disrespect to you. Know, maybe three because like Liker would probably get mad at me, but I'm trying to get him on a podcast. I'll say three. But, uh, <laughs> but, but it's Mike Rother's Toyota Kata. Like, start there. Yeah. And Mike Rother, it goes back. He works it. You know, he's he's basically older, that sort of, um, you know, uh, grant money to figure out why we're getting our ass kicked by by Japan. He figures he'd go and actually work at a factory and he writes a book called Terracotta. And in the beginning of the book, he says there have been hundreds of books written about Toyota and lean. This one's going to cover the hidden side. And so the hidden side, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> the hidden side is um, the, um, you must do that every podcast, I'm guessing. You Probably. Yeah. Um, the, um, the hidden side were all these sort of intangibles about the way they thought about
0: improvement
1: and how they put coaching and mentoring and and all these things, the things that people are like, why do I care about that? You know, there's a great quote, um, a contrasting quote between uh, Toyota Ono, the father of TPS, and Sloan. And, And I'll mangle it a little bit, but it's pretty close. Sloan would say, we're not in the business of making cars, we're in the business of making money. Ono would say that we're not in the business of making cars, we're in the business of making great people who make cars. So there's right. a whole, when you start thinking about that thing, and I, and I wanted to tell you this story, I I probably told you a story before. While I was at Chef, you know, I'd go to Seattle quite often. And um, well, this must have been like 2010, probably. We, it was a Wednesday night and Werner Vogels, the CTO of, of Amazon, was given this sort of impromptu user group meeting presentation. And he went through the history of how many times they changed everything from the infrastructure they moved to web scale then they moved to soa then they moved to or they, i mean sorry they started off with sort of monolithic infrastructure then they moved to soa then they moved right. to web scale
0: yeah yeah and,
1: and uh and so that you know like wow like they really sort of do the dance i mean it, it was three or four major and it was overhead and then i remember another thing at the end of that presentation somebody asked like what do you guys monitor? You know, like, oh, hey, monitoring always has to be the. Sure. Forefront. Which, again, yeah, nothing against monitoring. But, and he's like, he, he thought about it for a second. He goes, well, you'd be honest with me, monitor like, you know, again, I'm paraphrasing, but a gazillion things. He says, but there's only one metric we care about it's order rate.
0: Right. You know, we
1: have heuristics. So this is a very data, this is 2010. Like, there was nobody used the word ML or DL or anything. He was saying, like, We look at heuristics of order rate, and we know, like on a Wednesday, and depending on what's going on in the world, where the upper and this is pure Deming, you know, upper control limit, lower control limit should be, you know, what should it be, you know, and and if it's higher or lower, something's not right, right? And, and, um, you know, one other story, you know, a little bit of, um, you know, I'm trying to sort of accurately describe it, but it's John's version of the story, you know, Chris Brown, who wrote, EC2, right? He is the main developer, uh, uh, you know, that was challenged with actually creating the development team in South Africa who wrote, you know, and he was the primary architect of Chef's hosted service, the Chef hosted service. He, when he was at Amazon, he worked in Amazon and he actually now works at Amazon again. He wrote basically this massive DNS infrastructure, probably like two, I don't know, I'm guessing. It was back, you know, two thousand five, six, or seven, somewhere around there, and and I and I imagine like somebody saying or any other company like, guys, why are you building this like Sistine Chapel DNS service, and like you know like is it, like can't we cut that and save some money, and you look at where they wound up and you look at sort of Route fifty three as a commercial service, right like, they had that, and I, I again I think you go back you look at. You know, what Stewart was trying to do, um, you know, back at, at, at really Bell Labs, you know, to fix basically a problem of quality that Deming picked up on, which was basically statistical process control. There were these investments that these guys and other people who influenced them were sort of saying that if you were sort of Sloan or Tayloristic or Taylor, like, wait a minute, you know, how, you know, that doesn't fit in my stopwatch. you know, Why did you add that you know that sort of that coaching kata thing you called, you know, that wasted eight seconds, you know um, you know and, and and so there was this sort of openness to intrinsic or um you know just uh, these these humanistic things that um that were accepted and promoted. And again, going back to the Japan thing, uh, that culture just soaked it up.
0: It hit yeah. them like
1: oh my god that's the way we think
0: yeah and, like and also also
1: Gung ho right i love that movie. i went back and watched gung ho because i'm gonna write about it a little bit in the book right
0: i don't know and if i've know. ever seen that
1: <laughs> oh it's a michael keaton it's hilarious but i mean it's yeah. it's so factual about the mindset of americans and how sort of like uh, you know privileged we were and, and these japanese take over a factory i mean it's a, it's a it's a comedy version of the new me story basically and and uh you know and like they're all upset because one guy who does breaks has to uh uh sweep the floor and like how dare I you know and in Japan I was like that like the the motivation was at a higher level you know the the intrinsic nature of like how we do things and why we do things. anyway i go on
0: yeah you, you know so it seems like you know the the uh the uh you know i it's it's been Let me i'm going
1: to cut you off one more time so Yeah, yeah i it is that you know we do things because they're the way we're supposed to do
0: things that's right, that's not
1: right. because they'll save us money or it's not you know we don't think it's prudent at this time right that was that's the biggest difference you you do the things that are fundamentally you know sort of universally correct and 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 you know when those crises occur, like you're in a much better footing,
0: yeah. Yeah, so let's see if if I can work backwards through, through the uh, the More ideas exactly. here. So, oh, oh hey, no, fun, that's that's funny. You know, of course, there's the hallowed uh, Amazon flywheel, and like you know, I think what I've always been searching for is what I've always what I am. One of the things I'm searching for is like the culture flywheel, which like I've never really seen. I just think this flywheel notion is is like funny. I mean, you got to reduce things down to silly metaphors and yeah, charts yeah, yeah. and stuff, oh. but. But like, you know, like how, you know, like the Amazon flywheel to simplify it is like, if you give customer experience, they buy more stuff, your business is good, and then you can give better customer experience. I'm sure there's some more things running around in there, but it's sort of like, it's this very frustrating thing of like, you know, success breeds success, (laughs) which again, I'm giving shorthand to it, but there's also like this culture flywheel of like, but we have to you have to prove to people that planning ahead and changing and learning works and, and to, to go all the way back to address it to the human condition that it's better for them, right? Like not, not only is it better for them financially, but it just like makes their life, it makes them happier, right? It makes them like their work more. It, you know, gives them more stability, like they're just happier overall. So it appeals to their human thing. Right. And once you get that, that flywheel in effect uh you essentially know that like well not only you the the team doing it but also management who is putting up with this like yeah sure it seems ridiculous to write our own dns system but we know that it's probably a good idea right like it's it's some that's a bad example but like no
1: that's the trade off
0: right and and also what's important is that you are reinforcing use the the phrase in 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 this world that you know is used all the time you're reinforcing learning doing something right which which i think in this context is sort of like we will do the same process over and over again because it's the correct way to do things but we're also aware that often we should think about is this what should be happening, right? Is there a better way to go about doing things? Right. Like I don't I don't I don't know lean well enough that to, to know if they ever uh, like question the on Don cord. Like, you know, at some point you get tricky and you're like, well, do we ever not do the thing that is no, the but, but, <laughs> but
1: the whole thing that but you like, need that
0: you need that flywheel in effect to kind of reinforce yeah, this because I think the slide into decadence, as you were saying with the yeah. the brake guy is like, uh I don't I don't sweep. I'm the brake person. So there is no, like, the flywheel is reinforcing that, like, you stay being the brake person, whereas maybe, you know, it's usually like this in Hollywood, the cutesy thing is like, well, we have to sweep the floor to make the brakes because you're going to slip and then someone hits their head and then you can't make the brakes. So the, it's very important that the floor is swept.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, but that, that, that's the, so, I mean, it, it all goes back to sort of what, you know, what in, in general, and then I would say Deming, like clearly understood is, is, that leadership is the one that is where this rub happens like this. Mm, like I can right. do all that, but then I got shareholders screaming at me. Right. Okay. And so I've got to sort of, I've got to do this incredible dance. In fact, you know, as I went, I've been, I went back and I listened to new economics recently. And, you know, one of the areas where Deming talks about a lot is, you know, basically, um, you know, sales commissions and sort of eradicating that. And I've owned like yeah. three or four software companies. I'm like, eh, eh, ain't going to happen there. Yeah. I, I remember hearing that say, reacting like, the same way. My top sell guy, I want him to make more, him or her to make more money than God will allow. Because <laughs> if that happens, my share value goes up incredibly yeah. high. Yeah. But um, so you you know, we all have that sort of rubber meets the road moment. Um the um, you know, but the the I want two things I want to point on. The Andon court, the thing that I think most people who look at the Andon court don't sort of look at the sort of forest beyond the trees, right? Which is it was it was a culture thing like, you know, one of the mm-hmm. things that Rother says in Toyota is the first thing that would happen when when the end on code was pulled and it wasn't, you know, well, it was it was there's different versions of sort of a, a warning end on and then there's the actual stop the line. And when the end on code was pulled, the first thing that happened, the floor manager first always would go see it would be like, hey, what happened? Well, they always see that 10 times. Turn it back on. Right. Like it would be go see, go to Gamba. But then the real important thing was the first thing that floor manager would say is thank you. Before they even knew, they were like, why'd you stop the line? You know, they'd be yeah. like, thank you. And the, the reason was because they, they, they saw that as a learning opportunity. And, uh, and Rother, another story Rother tells is there's a, uh, you know, Toyota a city plant, um, that's doing like, uh, I don't know, it's like 10,000 and nine polls a month or something like that. And, uh, oh no, it's a thousand a day. That's what it was, a thousand a day. And all of a sudden they dropped down to 700. Um, you know, Western culture would be like, yeah, you know, 300 less defects. we're doing great. The plant manager grips, everybody says, we got a big problem here. <laughs> this is not good. We are, you know, there's a quote, no problem is problem, right? Um, and and, and the, so in other words, he's saying everybody like, Either we have our calibrations wrong or and or we're just not learning as much as we learned the last month or, you know, um, you know, and then there's another great quote from another book about um, the Kentucky Toyota plant, which says, you know, there's a a, a journalist goes there and says, you know, how do you guys make 2200 cars a day? That's incredible. And and then the plant manager flippantly says, oh, it's easy. We pull the end iron cord 5000 times a day. Right, right. Right. Um, you know, so and and I'll say one last thing, which is Deming had a flywheel for um for for this everything. and he called the system of profound knowledge. And it's where he he said there were four lenses that you had to look at complexity, and all things boil down to complexity. <laughs> That's like no matter what route you go, everything to be analyzed or improved is a complex system. And he said there was the you know the theory of system systems thinking. Second lens was variation, again, not deeply into statistical process control and variation control charts. But the two that were really interesting was theory of knowledge, which is epistemology, right? Which is goes right back to pragmatism and philosophy, you know, uh, inductive, um, you know, PDCA basically. But those sort of the brilliant fourth lens that really you don't see applied anywhere else, or if it is, it's in some adjunct sort of discussion, which is what he called the theory of psychology. And that was all about biases. And like, in other words, I can try to convince you, Michael, that you know, washing hands at your company is a good idea. And I can show you like system thinking and complex systems. I can show you control charts and variation of how this helps in improvement. I can even sort of walk you through how scientific method should be approved. But you be Gals Doggett, John. You're from Texas, Gals Doggett, John. I just don't believe that, you know, that washing hands kills germs. That's right. And so that um, and if you listen to my second podcast with Doris Quinn, like the reason she met Demi is because she was in New Guinea. She's this nurse that goes to New Guinea and she has to work with these uh, young doctors, Doctors Without Borders, whatever. And they're arguing with the tribal elders about medicine. And we we go through this whole thing. And she grabs him aside and said, yeah, that's the wrong approach. This is the theory of psychology. She's like, what you need to say to him is, yeah, those sort of those spells, oh, that one's a good one. I like that one. Um, oh, you might want to use that one on Wednesday. But then say, hey, by the way, so don't fight them on how that these spells and witchcraft can't, your magic can't cure anything. Say, oh, yeah, absolutely. I, I used it last Wednesday. But what you wind up doing is saying, hey, but by the way, why don't we actually take this medicine? As well, and Deming heard her tell that story, and then next thing you know, Deming wanted to like talk to her and travel with her and pick her brain about her sort of experience of this these kind of ideas in healthcare. I mean, again, that theory of psychology. So I think again, the reason I I like I call my podcast you know Deming profoundcom Profound dot com, and then my um you know not my 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 website, my blog, and then my my um the podcast called Profound you know, you know, just Google Deming and profound. And um, is that that was the system of profound knowledge was this, unfortunately, he wrote about it two years before he died. And I would argue that, like most people who write things who get many years to promote their ideas, you know, he didn't really have the time to sort of drive what was his 70 years of experience. But I, I think it is probably in my mind, again, I'm, I'm in, you know, sort of, you know, I got this tunnel vision, I'm in the echo chamber of this Deming thing, but I, I actually think system profound knowledge is um, is that sort of like perfect flywheel of 70 or hundreds of years of management knowledge and, you know, uh, non-deterministic thinking, uh, you know, some sort of inductive intrinsic philosophies, you know, all these things combined.
0: So, I, yeah, I, I remember, I like that story of the, uh, she was in New Guinea. Right, yeah, if, yeah, if I remember. And uh, you know, I didn't think about it the way you were describing it at the time. I mean, it, but it is it's a good uh I don't know if it's a parable, a metaphor, a story, a case study, whatever. It's, it a, it's, it's a good story for thinking about how to, like we in the you know, the DevOps digital transformation world, you have to be really careful to not tell people they're doing it wrong.
1: That's
0: exactly <laughs> right. I mean. And, and there's almost, well, I mean, there, there's two things. There's two approaches, uh, you know, the, which the first one is that like, which is, you know, you're not, you're not there to have people do things differently. I mean, it's right there in the name you're there to kind of like transform the way they do things. Right. Even right. transform is too strong of a word. And, and it almost seems like in a lot of cases, if you're looking to improve how a large organization does their computer stuff, probably you just start with like, on the one hand, kind of like fixing things as they are. And then you just kind of like slowly somehow manage moving over to doing things in a new way. Because like, I mean, like we've been saying, like, I don't know, people don't want to change unless they have to. (laughs) And, and they're certainly not going to change if you're like, don't do the uh, don't drink those potions because they're totally wrong. They're just immediately going to turn you off. So you've got to know how to uh,
1: well, you be change helpful. Culture. You change behavior, right? That's a famous right, quote. Right. But like, so, And I think people don't understand that you go in when there's sort of, you know, this um, ingrained culture in an organization, you know, and it's been built there for, and by the way, to the point you made earlier, in a lot of cases, these companies are incredible. Some of these airlines are like, except for last year, incredibly successful. And like we make, you know, I fly like Delta. Like even now, like I've flown a couple of times, they're all booked again, right? Like, so at some point they're, they're like, <laughs> right. yeah, you know, that's all great, but like we have this way and we've been doing this way for 50, 60, 70 years. Yeah, yeah, years. yeah. And you, you know, some young kid, I mean, God bless all the guys at Chef, but the young kids, when I came in there, you know, big financial institutions come in and they'd be pointing their face, Telling 30-year-old veterans, the guys that took companies to multi-multi-billions in assets, point them in the face and saying, you're doing it wrong. I'm like, can we go out and get coffee? You cannot say that to them. Yeah, yeah, maybe yeah. 30, 30 years, they've built, they've taken a company from maybe a cup, a billion in revenue to $40 billion in revenue through their you know, as enterprise architects, and they may not be in tune with the stuff we want them to learn. But sitting there in a boardroom and saying that they're doing it wrong is, and the fact that you've only been there 15 minutes, (laughs) like, yeah, come on guys, you know, you don't change behavior that way. And, and yeah. And then the second, the
0: second thing is, uh, it's sort of like a very silent way of, uh, I mean, it seems like the most famous, uh, infamous, famous like misused or whatever dimming quote is like what is it? Evolutionaries evolution is not mandatory. What's the actual? Uh, yeah, but
1: so, uh, so the actual so, so quote. Not mandatory, but neither is survival, right? Yeah. yeah,
0: yeah, and and so like that's the other kind of approach is sort of, and we were talking about this earlier, where you just sort of like you know you go work on some USDA stuff for a couple decades, <laughs> and then and then finally like. Like finally, when someone's ready for help, like you're prepared to go help them, right? Which is kind of like the slow, like annoying way to do things. But just kind of going head in and saying, you know, we're going to change how things are done and do things in a new way. It just seems like it very rarely ever works yeah. well.
1: And and there's no, I mean, one of the things that I, I love about you know, so going all the way back to when Ben Rockwood said you need to learn about Deming. Um, you probably remember this. I, I talked to you a lot. I, I I decided I was going to write. Um, Ben Rockwood gave a presentation at Lisa conference called DevOps Transformation, which, you know, him and Andrew Schaefer, Clay Schaefer's, there's no talent owners, are the two best to this day, in my opinion, best DevOps presentations ever given. And I felt that I, like I had to, in the end of Rockwood's presentation, he sort of handed the pawn out and said like, hey, why don't you build on this? And he talked about Torcha Ono and he talked about Deming. And so I started working for one of the early puppet comps, what I call Deming to DevOps. And at the time, I was fortunate enough to be good friends with my, Mark Burgess. And we had been to a couple of conferences. And I was able to sort of really work out this non-deterministic thread that guys like Gorat and Deming were all physics. They're getting their degrees in physics. It's a time when everything's in upheaval, right? Like you got, you know, Schrodinger's cat and you got, you know, Einstein, you got sort of quantum physics happening and they're getting a physics degree. So they're looking at the world completely different. And the thing that sort of as I learned more and more and more and more and more about Deming, like, you know, Deming was asked, uh, this is, you know, I I wrote a blog article about this. Deming was asked, how does a mathematical physicist become a statistician? And he said, his answer was, um, I've always loved theory of errors. And I was taught least squares by the best. So it's always been about that sort of probability, the variation, mm. nothing ever fits exactly. Right. So, so as you sort of think about, and and I got, I was, you know, Burgess, who was a, a physics uh, professor turned, you know, the guy who was the father of infrastructure code um, with CF engine, but um, he helped navigate me through the sort of plank and all these things about what is this, mindset come from and it's always about probabilities. Everything, you know, there is no sort of, you know, the the, the, the sort of telleristic. sloan is like do this because we've done it 10 times and I need you to do it that exact way. Right, right. So the deming thread is um I think we know a way for it to work that way. So we're gonna do this like plan do we're gonna do scientific method and we're going to sort of base the probability of our theory and then we're going to test our theory and if it's wrong that's a success right because now we we sort of iterate like so the whole notion of you know that probability statistics which chuwitch sort of started which is there is no sort of exact anything you right get right hypothesis and you you know sort of approximate the results
0: right right well, all right, here's my last question. All right. Now, now, uh, I don't know if I ever told you this story, this is a Shaggy Dog question, so to speak. But I remember back in the mid two thousands when uh, my wife and I were getting married. You know, I was a big, big Scrum aficionado, and I was thinking, you know, we should have a Kanban board for our wedding. Right? You put all the tasks up there. You can monitor them. You can what? What does it uh, make everything visible? Information radiator. You know, all of these practices. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, that's when I learned that the real world, world does not care about nerds and they just are not not into it. But you, I, you know, you are such a uh, so much into this. How have have you successfully applied any of this kind of dimming think stuff to your personal life?
1: Oh, no, it's all just theory. I mean, I, I know. <laughs> no, I, I think my, I, um, I, I will say that probably the biggest influence to me is that I think. About you know either through sort of learning about Schuert and Deming, you know um, the sort of glorious times I had with Mark Bird. I mean, me and Mark Bird just walked after uh, uh, DevOps days in Italy. We, the next day, we literally walked around Rome for a whole day. Him explaining quantum physics to me, me asking him dumb questions uh, about Planck length and like just it was just like oh, there's the Colosseum. Oh wow, 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 what's that? And then we go hey explain that plank plank one more time, you know, Hey, there's the forum. Oh my God. You know, so it was an amazing, um, uh-huh. a in correspondent in probabilities. Like I, I do, I think of things in terms of, um, uh, controls and, and in fact, um, so I wrote a blog article, um, about the history of least squares and, and I use sort of, uh, like two pizza joints, like, and, and so I start off with like, uh, you know, how, the, uh, the, the, what a floor of averages, you know, so one pizza joint has like, you can get, you're you're in a hurry. There's two on the way home. One, basically, uh, it's got a lot of variation in their time. Right. You know, but when you average out the last 15 times you've been there, it comes to like, you know, I don't know, it takes them like, you know, six minutes to make the pizza. Right. The other place is has a very tight, you know, very sort of low, sort of low variance and their average is six minutes. So when you look at standard deviation, it tells you, oh, wait a minute, I'm more likely if I'm in a hurry to get a pizza the amount of time I need it. And then I play with the sort of least squares of like, how do you do? I mean, just literally, okay, linear regression. I mean, sounds crazy, but like, okay, why did the one they're getting less tips? What if they ran some sort of least square linear regression to say how much more money people would make? I think more like that, since I've learned about deming in my day-to-day life. Wait, I mean, so, so what
0: a, what's a uh what's a least square?
1: Well least square is basically um a form of linear regression, right? Which is, you know, basically where it, 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 I read a whole article on it. It it was really hard to sort of explain it in layman's terms, which I am a layman. Um the um uh, but like if you think about standard deviation as a good marker for um know that that example of average of floors right one would say like oh they both have the same average time but like one is like these terrible dips and highs and lows um so um least squares is a statistical method to say i can plot a graph based on and again don't shoot me all you expert statisticians and mathematicians i can make sort of a linear graph of the probability so if like the the points along the sort of arrow in the graph are like here, 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 here. Uh-huh. Then what would it be if this was the number? So right, example, right, right. I say like, these are the tips they've been getting based on the time of delivery. You know, what if they were to get the average time of delivery down, like, you know, a minute and a half or two minutes, what would the potential tips be in the next cycle? Oh, right, right. So, and, so and you can use this you for can... stock, Stock you can see, you know, quant, I quant, to use it for stock prediction. Well, you know, stock PE versus stock price has um, been this for Exxon for forever. Um, let me run like again, sort of millions of records and say, oh, there's a good chance based on this linear regression that that like um, that if I invest in Exxon, I'm going to have these type of PEs based on their prior.
0: Right, and and in theory, you could also like uh, figure out if it's worth your effort to reduce the delivery time like yeah so well, or, not- or,
1: or, or what i use in bar article is to create a motivation
0: right, right, like, right, right again
1: back to change like i can tell you oh guys we got to do this you're going to make more money like eh. or i can show you like hey last month y'all made this much based on this data if i if i find point the ones where you got higher tips i'm telling you right now if you shave like two minutes off the time to get a pizza from the order to the time that a uh um that you're you know you're probably going to get a twenty five thirty percent increase in tips,
0: so essentially, in your personal life, all of this is boiled down to getting a pizza fast,
1: yeah, or beer or uh, <laughs> right, beer, right or, uh, no, I mean, but, I mean I, it's a good question. I mean, um yeah, you know, I, I actually personally have never I always have this idea that I'm gonna put my family on a kanban board, and like you know, it like never happens. Uh, Um, You know, I I just think I the biggest point that I've learned either in my sort of consulting with customers or in my daily life where I get to sort of analyze things or even philosophical is one thing you'll you'll love, Michael, is when your kids get to that sort of there's this transition when they're like become real adults. Mm -hmm. You start having these like meta conversations. It's (laughs) just it's glorious. Right. Like, And even in those kind of conversations. The idea that um, that the sort of intertwined in all of this is this is understanding statistics and probabilities and and how that and and really how the world um, is a complex system and you know, system thinking theory of systems, which is one of the four lenses, and the way um, you know it's all intertwined variation. Uh, you know the way I sort of approach anything now is is not through a deterministic lens; it's through a yeah.
0: Yeah, you know, you know, you're making me think. Like, uh, it's in by no means rigorous because I, uh, I, I was not a physicist. It's an interesting thing to ponder at some point. Why so many physicists are in this field and management consulting and programming? Well, but you know, because I I think I think one of the Bain founders. I don't know. One of the BCG founders was a, a physicist or an engineer, but like.
1: Well, beyond the goal, right? Elliot Gorat says this. I just went back and I sort of got some of the transcript. But Elliot Gorat goes through the whole thing about how physicists think, and you know, if, if you remember anything about Beyond the Goal, he has this whole thing about how does a how does a physicist get a PhD? You know, you'll know it. You know, you have it when every other physicist reads two pages and says, "Oh shit," right? Like you know, like oh, like that simplicity, right? Yeah, he goes through the whole comparison how they think, and then he gives this kind of short thing about like he says, "Oh, by the," and he was a physicist, right? And then he says, "Oh, by the way, Dr. Deming was a physicist."
0: Right, right, exactly.
1: There, there's something about the way these guys think and teach management leadership different than everybody else, and the fact that they were physicists at a time when like the second scientific. Yeah, no,
0: no, I think that's exactly right, and and you know, I think I think. That you know, uh, one, there was there was it, they, they had, as you were charting out, like there was a time when a lot of these physicists came about. And when I would imagine, I don't know how contemporary physicists think, but I imagine a lot of the culture of at least uh, would it be twentieth century physics is built around like, who knows, <laughs> right? like what what we need to do is investigate, right? Like we need to have systematic ways of investigating stuff. And then you know indeed when we make advances in like whoa we've we've discovered something new or like we've thought of some new way of doing things and then I think you know the other part of that which kind of goes in tandem maybe it's a flywheel is you have a uh, there there's got to be a better word for this well two words that can be kind of the same thing you're both you're humble and curious right and so you never have that assumption of like we know how this works and we're not gonna you know we're not gonna we're gonna do this thing you're always like you're humble enough to know that not so much that you might be wrong, but that there might be a better way to do it that's
1: yeah, and there is no wrong and, and, like, right, right no wrong exactly is like the experiment and we found out what happened, right
0: I mean, right, right, so right that, and 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 then if you don't have the curiosity, like you're not going to uh, investigate stuff. Oh, so yeah, anyways, get, getting getting back, I mean, I think that's the way that I've applied all this stuff in my own my own life is just like I mean, it's hard, but I'm always not always. But I'm, I try to remind myself to be willing to like try new things out, it, you know, even if it comes down to here. Here's a very simple example of like, maybe it actually is OK to put dirty dishes in the dishwasher, or, <laughs> right? And mustard,
1: like mustard on a hamburger.
0: Yeah, exactly. Like, like all of these things or, you know, like maybe, maybe, you know, just the way that I'm trying to get my kids to like read books more, like it doesn't work. Like I got to figure something yeah. else out, right? Like yeah, yeah, yeah. I have to constantly be like experimenting well, with sure, what works yeah. instead of uh, stuck on one way of doing yeah, it. And whether you're writing
1: it down on a chart and control charting or not, not isn't the point. It is that you're sort of continually sort of mentally noting that, like, I tried this, I tried that. Um, you know, and then not, none of that is a failure. It's it's sort of the the outcome of right. experiment. There's a I, I'm just writing a, like I said a, a, another blog article called the brief history PCA and like I don't know if you've ever read this um, CS C I Lewis not C S Lewis he's a different guy. Um, his mind in world order. It's it's you know Deming said it took him six tries to understand it. Right. It's um, you know, and and I struggle with with uh, philosophy in general. But C.I. Lewis has this great quote. It says, "Knowing begins and ends in experience, but it does not end in the experiment, in the experience in which it begins." Mm, right? Isn't that awesome? Yeah. Profound I. I. knowledge. Yeah, well, it's a continuum, <laughs> right? Like that's, that's right. The, you know, so, um, all right. Anyway. Well,
0: tell tell people again, John. What's what's your podcast?
1: Yeah, the podcast is called Profound. Obviously, it is on, um, you know, on, on everywhere, Apple, everywhere. Yeah. So I mean, just anywhere you and but it's actually hosted on Buzzsprout. So Buzzsprout, Profound. But but like again, it it's funny watching like you've been doing this for a while. In fact, I gotta I gotta pick your brain at some point. Like I like now I'm getting all these sort of graphs of data where things come from and like wait a minute, and they do it all on downloads. So I I don't know what that means. Is like. But anyway, we can say that for another time. But it's called Profound. And then um, I'm doing sort of a slow roll blog article um, thing. Um, you know, I, I usually have a good editor and I don't have an editor right now. So I'm like not like promoting my blog <laughs> articles until at least I get them. Edited uh-huh. But it's called uh, Deming-Profound.com. And I'm, I'm writing these stories about um, actually uh, just quickly, you know, sorry, it's way over, but. I found this interesting story about Deming's wife, Lola Deming. She was also a statistician, mathematician. So she is. I called the article "Devil Wears Prada." I said, "Do you ever wonder where the women's sizes come?" Remember, "Devil Wears Prada" is like two is the two is the new four. Um, you know, uh, you know, zero is the new two. Um, there's a whole dialogue in that movie and Anne Hathaway. Um, Lola Helting is the one who worked on the statistics project that created women's sizing. Mm. Uh, for um you know as a whole you know it was a sort of a a mail order request and they were getting all the sizes wrong and they wanted they took a a, a part of the um i think it was uh usda i wanted to think where she worked for like they challenged them to come up with a statistical model to come up a numbering system so she actually invented that whole
0: it's a lot of stuff going on at the usda in the last yeah
1: man oh no no it it was uh it was actually it wasn't usda it was um it was NIST. It was actually the original oh, NBS. Right, right. So she was at. It was NBS, and it was renamed to NIST later on. But she was at NBS, and one of her groups, which is a commercial group, was tasked with coming up with a system for measuring, a uh, uh, sort of a universal measurement system for women's clothing.
0: That sounds, uh, you know, come up with standards, as as yeah, it said. That's
1: right. And I'm botching loop on Twitter. So, as always, you
0: still always. got a dimming head on there.
1: Yeah, um, You know what? want to hear one one last weird story. I oh, had sure. a picture of De Niro in in, uh, in Taxi, uh huh, Taxi, which you know, and and like it was a really it was like the end of movies, bloody and all this. I changed it to Deming's picture, and people got more offended about the picture of Deming than the bloody face picture of De Niro and Taxi Driver. So like I don't know. <laughs> Oh, no figure.
0: <laughs> That's right. It's just the the, the the audience that you keep. They're, they're, I guess so, I guess they're wonks so. for something different. All right. Well, well, great. Well, thanks for being on. This, this is good. Yeah, it's, it's fun. It's, it's always fun, fun. stuff. Well, yeah. as always, this has been uh, one of the interview editions of Software Defined Talk. We use, you know, usually have weekly episodes where we go over just uh, tech news stuff. But if you want to get the show notes for this, you just go to softwaredefinedtalk.com and there'll be links to everything. And we'll see everyone next time. Bye-bye.